0: Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, Empowering Intelligent Care. Hey there, welcome to the Iodine Intelligence, Empowering Intelligent Care podcast brought to you by the experts at Iodine Software. I am your host, Hillary Kennedy, and today's episode is going to go over rules-based prioritization versus machine learning you know today most healthcare technology solutions that support revenue cycle billing coding and documentation teams they use systems and workflows that think like computers not clinicians they leverage rules and checklists which only consider narrative documentation, and then those can lead to unforeseen errors given the many nuances of the healthcare revenue cycle. So we are going to dive into how this can be improved. And joining me to share insight and real-world application is Lance Eason, Chief Data Scientist at Iodine Software, and Troy Wozuleski, Chief Revenue Officer at Iodine Software. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks,
1: Laura. Thank you.
0: I'm excited to talk about this. You know, as I mentioned in the beginning, healthcare tech solutions, they often think like computers and not clinicians and iodine takes a, a totally different approach. So Lance, I'll start with you. Can you explain cognitive emulation and why it's different?
1: Sure, so in the space that we're in, which is primarily the revenue cycle space, and the that we see a lot of companies making is not recognizing that fundamentally revenue cycle is still a clinical cycle. Underneath it all, you're earning revenue not by selling products, you're earning revenue based on the care that you're providing that the patients you're treating actually need. And so... If you divorce yourself from understanding the clinical picture of what's going on, you really hinder your ability to make good decisions about what actually needs to happen in order to actually address problems in the revenue cycle. So the way we fundamentally think about it is we backed up a step. And before we even started focusing on CDI, we started focusing on understanding what's actually clinically happening with the patient. And based on that... Then you can go back and you can look and you can say, where are the holes? Where does this clinical picture not match up with the reality that I'm seeing? Where does somebody need to know and take intervention? And so that's that's the first mistake I think we see a lot of companies making is trying to pretend like you can give good guidance to people in the revenue management cycle without first fundamentally understanding what's going on with the patient's that's actually driving the decisions that they need to be making. And then the second you've already alluded to, which is a lot of times tech solutions in this space Come at it algorithmically. They, they'll come at it and they'll try and define a set of rules that help you identify some problem or another. And that, I, we'll talk some more uh, later on about this, but that's just fundamentally a limiting approach. This, this is a complex area. It takes a lot of subtlety in some cases to understand what's going on with the patient, and rules just don't capture that subtlety.
0: Absolutely. And, and like you mentioned, it is incredibly complex in so many ways. So, Troy, I would love for you to expand on how your core technology helps solve the earned revenue leakage problems.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and before I even answer that, I'll say, you know, I think in, to, to Lance's points, you know, we're talking about the revenue cycle. It's also a clinical cycle. And so when we talk about earned revenue leakage that's a huge output of correcting this documentation problem, but so is a lot of quality improvement as well, right? So yeah. there's quality indicators, quality um, tracking that leaks out of the system as well. And so both of those are are, are important. I mean, we, I think our, our, our take on revenue leakage, quality indicator leakage, was really the, the basis for how we even designed our applications. What I mean by that is, Unlike a lot of other companies in the industry who, you know, started this process of building software primarily just to build workflow solutions, how can we push electronic paper around, IDON came at it in a, in a different way. We, we said, where are the points within the mid-revenue cycle where revenue and quality indicator leakage is happening? And let's build solutions that are specifically targeted at solving the underlying root causes of that leakage. Versus retrofitting, you know, some sort of workflow solution to try to fix these things along the way. And so, for example, you know, one big part of revenue leakage and quality indicator leakage comes at the, uh, while the patients in the, in the hospital, um, concurrent documentation and a huge problem that uh, folks have is just figuring out which cases I should actually look at that have documentation integrity opportunities in them. Um, we solve that first by saying we'll use machine learning to, Look at every single case every single day the way a clinician would, determine what conditions are there, and then compare that to what the physician has written down, and only have the documentation specialists examine and look at those cases that have an integrity issue, right? That's sorting all – separating the wheat from the chaff, right? So that's one big solve, right? Design a software system that helps people focus their productive time on where there are actual problems, not spend their time eliminating cases that that don't have problems, and they just wasted their time reviewing. Another big point of leakage is you know in the process of um, improving documentation, we have to query the physicians. We have to ask the physicians, right? Is this is what I'm seeing as a problem here a real problem? And if so, can you correct it? And the term of art there is a query, right? Well. The more queries you can send to physicians, the more improvement opportunities or documentation correction opportunities you can you can get out to physicians to to, to fix the record. Um, the more you're going to you know be able to uh, uh, then uh, code and bill for for any additional um, services you're providing, and the more you'll be you'll be capturing quality indicators. Well, we're trying to solve that as well uh, by actually using our machine learning algorithms, uh, to, co- uh, to go through and pre-populate queries where we have a high degree of confidence that there's an opportunity for correction. And so we're actually improving the productivity of the clinical documentation specialists. We're helping them actually get to more cases and send more queries more efficiently. That's another leakage problem. Um, a, a third big leakage problem is getting doctors to respond, right? And pay attention to this query that's coming across to them. Right. Well, that today is a mess for most organizations. I mean, it's a combination of emails trying to post things into the EMR where there's tons of other information it gets lost in. I mean, often it's physically in the days before COVID going and tracking down the physician in the hospital to get them to respond to this thing. Right. Well, we've solved that through our acquisition of Artifact and now our Interact solution that makes that whole career process problem just go away. Gone is this Rube Goldberg you know, machine of like, you know, complicated machinations to get people to answer things. And instead it works the way it should. You write a query, you press a button, and it goes to the physician's mobile phone, right? Or it shows up in the record in the EMR. And that makes it easy for for physicians to respond and they'll respond to more queries. So we eliminate that leakage problem. And then I'll give you one last final one. Um, Coding, you know, is that final step before you can drop a bill, right? And so coders use the documentation to then create codes and those codes you know, inform and go on to the bill. Well, you know, coding solutions, particularly computer assisted coding solutions, aren't foolproof either. And therefore, after a physician, after a patient has been discharged from the hospital, their case is coded, there's still revenue leakage there where coders missed an opportunity to code appropriately for a particular particular case. And we've built a solution there to have one final backstop on leakage uh, of revenue where we rerun with all our machine learning algorithms, all of the cases post-discharge, looking both for further documentation integrity issues as well as coding issues. And that's capturing a final final step of uh, of revenue leakage and and quality indicator leakage as well.
0: Well, I love that it sounds like you guys have really identified so many different ways to increase productivity and increase efficiency, things that we always want more of. But there you know there's always some challenges with different things. So Lance, I want to know what are some of the the problems with the rules or marker-based solutions that are being used?
2: It it really
1: comes down to a couple of basic factors. They're they're pretty simple to understand when you think about it. The first is that when you're using these rules, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make a decision as to whether to take some action, whether that action is prioritize it for somebody to look at or automate some piece of the flow. But you're trying to figure out what's the criteria necessary for me to feel that I have enough confidence to take that action. So, when we do these rules-based approaches, what we'll typically do is, is we'll look at a, a limited set of factors that we know are correlated with the disease. So let's, let's take sepsis, for instance. If you were looking for sepsis, you would probably look for things like lactic acid, heart rate, respiratory rate, temperature, um, all things that are indicative of an infectious process going on. Now you have to make the decision as to what is enough evidence me to take whatever action I've decided I need to take. And you get to the point where you have to pick a cutoff. And so the first problem is just purely having to pick a cutoff. So if I want to be 80% confident that this patient has sepsis before I move forward, okay, I I pick a value for lactic acid that gets me to that 80% threshold. But you know, that patient who is sitting just below that threshold, there's still a 79% chance that that patient has sepsis as well. And a little bit further down, there's there's a bunch more patients who 60, 70% chance that they have sepsis. So that's the first problem is you are just arbitrarily picking a point and you, you are discarding a bunch of patients where there is some evidence, it's just not strong enough. The second thing that really plays into it is we tend to put together simplistic systems. We'll, we'll typically look at four, maybe five different factors max when we're putting together these rules. That and, and we'll look at them frequently, fairly independently of each other. So we'll have a cutoff for lactic acid. We'll have another cutoff for temperature. We'll have another cutoff for respiratory rate. The combination of those cutoffs and the fact that we're looking at these small number of factors and we're looking at them in isolation means that there's just so much opportunity for patients to not meet the letter of the law of the criteria, but still have lots and lots of evidence that they have whatever disease process is evident. And what machine learning is able to do is machine learning is very, very good at picking up subtle patterns out of large pools of data. and not just picking out a single pattern sepsis has lots of different ways it can present um i i I think we've talked before that sepsis is a disease where you've got all multiple, you've got organ failure going on, and that organ failure can happen in multiple different systems. And depending upon where the disease is attacking the body, it can present in very different ways clinically. Renal failure looks different from hepatic failure, looks different from respiratory failure. So machine learning, again, good at picking out patterns. It's also good at picking out multiple different patterns and understanding this cluster over here looks like sepsis, but this cluster over here that looks very different also looks like sepsis it's very hard to construct a set of rules that captures all that nuance. So where a rule system may be looking at four or five criteria, frequently these machine learning models will end up picking up on dozens of factors. And not all of these factors are slam dunk Criteria like lactic acid is that, that really give you a clear cut answer, but each of them is contributing the information. And the combination of pulling all these factors together, weighing all the evidence on either side, helps you get to a much more nuanced and ultimately much more accurate picture of what's going on.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, with anything, as technology moves at warp speed, there are going to be. Uh, unique sets of challenges and limitations to try. I would love to know if you have any other challenges or limitations that you'd like to address or mention.
2: Well, yeah, I'll, I'll just build on some of the things that Lance said there. I mean, uh, fundamentally, just think about what a rules or marker-based system is attempting to, to, to be. It's attempting to be a simple set of rules to diagnose a patient. We all know that is not how medicine works, <laughs> right? If, if it was. How medicine work. We would have for each disease state, a simple flow chart as to how to diagnose and treat a patient. Doctors would not have to go to school, you know, for, for, for uh, all the years they do. Uh, they certainly wouldn't need to then, you know, have residencies and continuous training. And so forth. you wouldn't need that. It would just be a checklist. Well, we all know that's not the case, right? I mean, rules and marker based systems tend to are attempting to simplify one of those complex you know, uh, uh, clinical issues out there. How do you diagnose what a patient has, right? Um, and so we think the only way to really solve that, Hillary, goes to what you said at the beginning, is to use a, a a computer system that can actually think like a clinician. Now, no computer system is ever going to think, right, like a clinician, and, the, and that, the, that clears uh, a, a definition. But to Lance's point, machine learning models are able to far more mimic the, ability to recognize patterns and see complex variables the way that a human mind does. And that's why we think it's it's so effective here. But also to your question, Hillary, and what else do we have to consider? Well, I think what we've seen in the market is for those organizations that uh, attempt to utilize rules and marker-based systems to sort through and try to prioritize which cases they're going to look at, often quickly start to see the failure rate there right? Their clinical documentation improvement specialists, their physicians will start to quickly see that there are an enormous amount of false positives. There's false negatives as well. And worse yet, they're actually losing cases that just haven't been identified by that oversimplified marker-based approach. Um, and what folks do is lose confidence in those, those marker or rules-based systems. And that loss of confidence often then has people reverting back to the tried and tested method that still doesn't work either, which is trying to review every single case every single day, which nobody's staffed for, right? So, you know, we've often here at IDyne been talked about the idea that in clinical uh, spaces, trusting the software is essential to getting value out of it. Uh, rules and marker-based systems tend to lose a lot of trust very quickly, whereas what we've seen with machine learning models is quite the opposite, right? folks start to very quickly grasp and understand the accuracy level we're talking about here. They understand that when you say 90% accurate, that means nine out of the 10 cases you review that are flagged that way are going to have an opportunity, and one won't, and they get that, right? And so trust is built, and with that comes greater utilization, which drives, again, a lot of the performance and improvement we're seeing across health systems today.
0: Well, and we've been touching on this throughout our conversation, and, and Lance, I'll start with you on this one. What has coupling machine learning and advanced natural language processing or NLP, what has that allowed iodine to do?
1: So I think of it in the same way that um, mapping the human genome, that unlocked the ability to do precision medicine because suddenly you weren't just looking at the population in generalities. You were able to look at each patient individually. I kind of see it the same way for what we're doing because we are actually unlocking the ability to understand what's clinically going on with each patient that allows us to tell our customers specifically for this patient here here is the intervention that's necessary here's what you need to look at for this patient and we don't just speak in generality so the the Counter would be, you know, you bring in a consultant, you do an audit, they uncover, you've got this systemic problem within your program. Uh, Let's say you're you're systemically under-documenting acute tubular necrosis. And so you... Sit down with your staff. You tell them, okay, we are having a problem here. Watch out for this on every patient. Maybe we'll put up a reminder on every patient. Maybe we'll put together a rules-based system, as we've discussed before, that tries to pick these out. But you're taking a broad swath of the problem there. You're, You're basically saying, okay, I know that I'm missing acute tubular necrosis patients, so I'm going to focus on it across the board. What we're doing instead is we're looking and saying, hey, this patient clearly is not acute tubular necrosis. You don't need to worry about it for this patient. We'll call out other things if you need to worry about them on this patient. But oh, by the way, these patients, yes, that is absolutely something you need to pay attention to. Uh, we will alert you to the fact and call it to your attention. So rather than trying to take you know very broad approaches of fixing the problem crudely across the board, we're able to pinpoint and say, here are the specific patients you're having problems with. Potentially, here are the specific physicians that you're having problems with or the specific type of patients you're having problems with and point you to those patients individually. And that that's what this machine language machine learning and natural language processing, that's what it allows us to do. It allows us to peek in and actually understand what's going on on a patient-by-patient basis, and then at a higher level, aggregate that to tell you what's going on with your entire population.
2: No, and Hilary, I just want to add one other thing here, if it's okay. This this whole space, right, is part of why we're doing podcasts like this, right? This whole space of AI, machine learning, NLP, all these acronyms. It's a very fraught and confusing space for, for most folks, right? I mean, this is new technology. And, and I think, uh, I think one thing that, that is important to clarify here, because there's a lot of, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it misinformation, but just it's, there's a lot to digest for a lot of folks here. We hear a lot about people, um, and other companies saying, Oh, yeah, you know, we use machine learning as well. Well, let's just talk about what that what that usually looks like, right? And the difference between what we're how we're applying machine learning. Natural language processing, as you know, Lance just described, is designed to understand and interpret written the written word, right? And as Lance said, we use it today because we have to digest that narrative record, right, that the physician has written down. We need to turn that into computer code so that you know our systems can understand what the what the physician wrote down. That's a powerful technology. Simultaneously, we're using machine learning to digest the whole clinical record and make specific clinical predictions about the diagnoses of that patient from the raw clinical record. That is a very unique novel use of machine learning. What we hear a lot in the market is, oh, well, we're using machine learning as well. And what you'll often find is that that's true, but it's a different application of machine learning. You can use machine learning, for example. To help ensure that the semantic lookup feature of your natural language processing software gets better, right? That's different. That's helping to train, use a machine learning model to train your NLP. And again, I know we're down in the weeds of all this terminology, but you know, helping your NLP to know when you see these words, right? It means this more often than it means this. And you can use a machine learning model to make that better. That is entirely different than being able to make clinical determinations on raw clinical data with machine learning. That's an entirely different, frankly, much harder problem to solve. And I think it's worth folks hearing that because, again, there's so much talk about AI in the market today. It's important to understand what everything is. And, you know, people should be asking probing questions to really determine how is this technology being used, not just I can put a label on it and assume it's all the same.
0: I think you're so right. And it's an exciting time to be in the industry. I I love what Iodine is doing and how you have set yourself apart. This has been a a very helpful and fascinating conversation on rules-based versus machine learning. I want to thank you both, uh, Lance Eason, Chief Data Scientist at Iodine Software, and Troy Wozuleski, the Chief Revenue Officer there as well, for joining me on the show. Is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap things up?
2: I don't think so. Thank you, Hillary. It was great to be here.
0: You guys, I mean, the you trash. covered everything very comprehensively. Right? Okay. <laughs> this has been a, it's been a great conversation. Well, I want to thank everyone else for tuning into this episode of the Iodine Intelligence Empowering Intelligent Care podcast. If you like what you heard, you can check out more episodes of the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to get your podcasts. So we'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, I've been your host, Hillary Kennedy. Thank you so much for joining us.